This episode is brought to you in part by Regent College, Vancouver, Canada. Experience God's call to a life more abundant with our one- to two-week summer courses. Sign up today at rgnt.net slash summer. Fellas, I'm ready to get up and do my thing. I want to get into it, man, you know. Like, I, you know I'm the man, don't you? Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. You're listening to the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibney, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a Christian worldview. Transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square. Live on Facebook, we've been doing this throughout the crisis every week. Uh, just to make sure that you're continuing to get that political commentary from a biblical point of view. I'm here, as always, uh, with my partner in crime, uh, Michael Ware, and also our brother, pastor, the Politico, uh, Chris Butler. And so we are back. Uh, again, as always, we're gonna, we have some interesting topics. Uh, if you want to push through questions, just say hello, whatever. Please hit us up in the comments. We'll be addressing those. I see Leonard Ford in the comments already. Glad you are joining joining us, but we're really just going to get into it. So the first thing that I want to talk about today, brothers, is the AND campaign's Churches Helping Churches uh, Challenge. Uh, this is a challenge that we got up and running, uh, I guess, just over a week ago. Uh, and the point of the challenge is to get larger churches to help smaller churches get through this crisis. Uh, we believe that it is the church's responsibility, first and foremost, uh, to help our brothers and sisters in uh, desperate times, and we want to make sure that we're getting as much help there as possible. It's been going pretty well so far. We've gotten over 600 applications from all over the country, not just all over the country. We got an application from, uh, I believe, Kenya the other day, too. Unfortunately, we can't uh, fund anything overseas. Uh, but just so you know, the word is getting out, and a lot of churches are responding. A lot of churches that are in need have responded. But not only the churches who are responding, a lot of Christians and faith organizations uh, who are better resourced are responding as well. So we have been had people donating. We've raised with just over in just over a week, we have raised two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for these smaller churches. And we're continuing to raise every day. Uh, we're going to be doing programs. We've been working with the Pulse Movement. We got a lot of stuff coming up, but this is going really well. Hopefully by, I think, uh, Monday or later this week, there'll be probably over 50 churches that have already um, been awarded the grant. And so things are moving. We got the website up quickly. We got things moving really quickly. Any thoughts, guys, just about how this is going? Anything you've heard or uh, any any thoughts on the challenge? Uh, Michael? No, it's just been wonderful to see. And we're grateful uh, for everyone who's helped spread the word, for the churches that have stepped up to give for the churches that have reached out and said, we need help. That's a biblical thing to do, to, mm -hmm. to reach out to fellow brothers and sisters, reach out to fellow pastors and, and say, we need help to make it because we we want you to make it. We can't get on the other side of this crisis with uh, churches not existing uh, in communities that need them. And so it, it's just been a wonderful thing to see. And uh, we we'll just urge people to go to churchrelief.org uh, to read more about the challenge, to give if you can, uh, and to help spread the word. So, Chris? Yeah, I mean, uh, the response has been great. Uh, I, I'm grateful to God for for, for putting the idea, uh, Justin, in your heart. Uh, I think it's just something uh, that 
will will do something in the in the broader church that we can't even predict. I'm I'm really excited not only to see churches get this help, but to see all of the things that will come out uh, of these relationships that have been initiated. That's good, man. And one of the things that we've said since we started doing this uh, Facebook Live during the crisis was we wanted to be less partisan when it came to this issue and more unified. And so we've seen uh, all types of people from the, the broad spectrum of, you know, the broad political spectrum getting engaged with this, um, giving and just making and doing what they can to get the word out. So we are thankful. Uh, we know that there are bigger than partnership, especially in the time of uh, pandemic. And so thank you to everyone who has given. Again, if you want to give or you feel like you need to apply, you can go to churchrelief.org, churchrelief.org, and get all the information there. But this has just been a blessing uh, to so many, a blessing to us to have uh, so many great organizations from the Church of Living God in Christ to the National Hispanic Christian Leadership uh, Conference, uh, Movement Day, um, Jude, uh, the Jew 3 Project, uh, and Lisa Fields. All these groups coming together to say we care about the church and we're going to show the world what the church is about in crisis. And so that has just been really encouraging. All right, let's get on to some po uh, political commentary. Uh, during this crisis, politics has not stopped. So if you didn't know that, we're, we're letting you know that politics is ongoing and there is a lot to talk about. Uh, the first subject that I want to uh, talk about is the conflict between uh, President Trump and the uh, World Health Organization. Uh, so you may have seen it, I believe it was yesterday or the day before, President Trump announced that he would be seeking to defund the World Health Organization uh, because of how they've acted during this crisis. Uh, and so as, as I'm sure you know, uh, people from both sides, both parties can, were kind of in an uprage, uh, in, an, in an uproar, some people rooting on uh, President Trump from what he did on the right, and then others on the left and in and, and other places saying, wait, this is not the time to be defunding this organization. Just so you know, this uh, the World um, Health Organization, it's, it's called WHO for short. Uh, this, is the, this is basically the organization that directs international health uh, for the United Nations. And so what they've been doing is kind of advising and facilitating the response to the COVID-19 a crisis worldwide. And so they've been helping different countries, providing information, all those things so that people people have an idea of what's going on and how best to react. And so everybody doesn't have to figure that out for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and here's the thing. Some people are saying, look, this is just Trump trying to find a scapegoat, right? He's made some mistakes uh, and he wants to make sure that everybody knows this is not his fault. It's someone else's fault. Um, and, and I would say this, again, without trying to be too partisan, the administration will have to answer questions about the, the delay. Uh, they will and should have to answer questions at some time uh, about um, some of the rhetoric that's been used and, and, and some of the messaging that has gone out from the administration. Those are things that once this is said and done, that they will have to answer for it uh, at some time. Uh, and we can, we can judge that. But I will say this as well. Uh, because I haven't liked everything that's come out of the administration, but I will say this: it does seem that some kind of some of the anti-Trump folks, uh, some of our friends, uh, have been so eager to put everything on Trump that they have given a pass to China and a pass to who. And one thing I will say is that we may disagree with some of the missteps that Trump has made, but I think it's a bit much to say that he caused the crisis. Right? We know that's not the cause of the crisis, so I think it is fair to look at China, who I think has had some 
um, hasn't been honest all the way, and maybe even there may be even some malfeasance in there. I think it's very fair to put the onus on them and say, hey, this is this is a real issue. Now, we can talk about the language and where that language goes. I'm not really addressing that. But clearly, China could have handled this better. There's also a word that some people are, are saying that who could have handled this better, and that in some ways, who was just kind of parroting uh, what China was saying early on. Let me give you an example. In an Atlantic article that I read the other day, it said that on, Jan- on January 14th, as late as January 14th, who was sending out messages like this? Who, who tweeted this out? They said, preliminary investigations conducted by the Chinese authorities have found no clear evidence of human-to-human trans- transmission of the novel coronavirus. This was at a time where most would say that there was actually clear evidence that there was human to human transmission and that the only reason that who would say that is because they were trying to keep a close relationship with China or whatever was going on. The fact of the matter is it wasn't as transparent as it shouldn't be, should have been, and the, um, the messaging wasn't as accurate as it should be. Guys, when it comes to def- defunding who, which I don't think this is the right time to do it, but what are your thoughts this on defunding who and this back and forth between who, uh, China, and and the Trump administration. Uh, Michael? Yeah, a couple things. Uh, first, uh, WHO, its pandemic outbreak is a very small percentage of the work it does. So when you're, the U.S. is responsible for about 15% of WHO's overall overall funding, where, where U.S. is the largest single giver uk is next and then i believe the gates foundation so when you're defunding who it's not just you know a a punishment for uh them not addressing this pandemic the way the the way that you think they should have you're undermining efforts to combat and eradicate polio you're uh undermining an array of global health issues that the WHO has been entrusted since World War II to to serve as a agent of the global community to combat. This is of a piece with the Trump administration's skepticism and antagonism towards international organizations generally. They've done work to undermine NATO. They've done work to undermine the United Nations overall. And so this is of a piece with their sort of skepticism of global uh, institutions and multilateral efforts. Uh, I I think that there's certainly a time for oversight and for people to be held accountable uh, if they got uh, uh, things wrong at the WHO, and it certainly seems like they did. But now is not the time to be undermining the leading international health organization again at a time of pandemic, but then also when we have other health issues that we need to not take our eye off the ball of those in order to have some political retribution uh, going on here. So I just think it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a political move. I mean, one thing I haven't seen is it's, it, it's not like we're, we pay the WHO every week, you, you know? So, you know, there, there's a, there's a, uh, annual budgetary payment. Maybe there are some emergency payments throughout the year, but it's not clear to me that the WHO, uh, that we haven't given the WHO money at this point that they were supposed to have. And so it will be interesting to see if this is 
tangible, if there's a payment that's actually not going to be made or that's going to be postponed, or if this is purely political, that there's actually no cost to the WHO and Trump just wants to sort of uh, uh, avert people's uh, gaze for a little bit from some of the ways that his administration has failed. I think it's a foolish move for the person who's who's supposed to be the leader of the free world to be blasting uh, international organizations that are, are a part of combating this crisis. Cool, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I, I think to the extent that, like, I don't think anybody can be surprised about this. I mean, I think a lot of what Michael just said, this is actually very much in line uh, with this administration's approach to these multinational organizations. Um, you know, the other piece is that this president definitely um, uses this kind of initial shock uh, in, in his speech. I mean, a few days ago, he was in charge of everybody and everything. And then the next day, uh, you know, the governors are going to decide. Um, and it's, it, part, part of it is just how he chooses to negotiate, relate, and deal with people and practice politics, right? I, I'm going to push you way, way, way back with something that seems, you know, almost completely ridiculous so that when we get to the point of what is decided, I feel like I won more of the exchange. You know, it, it, it's one of these things where I think the details are much more important than the rhetoric. Um, is, is, is this organization, WHO, going to lose a ton of money from this? If so, that's probably a really bad thing. Um, at, at the same time, I, I think that it's, it's part of a political strategy to push back um, a conversation that that probably has been in some circles a little bit too targeted at the Trump White House uh, in terms of, you know, well, they caused the crisis, they caused the delay. Um, and it's his way of saying, well, look at these guys, uh, you know. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think the details are going to be way more important than the, the rhetoric at the end of the day. Yeah, that's right. But we, we would all agree, too, that if indeed who... Uh, was playing politics with China in how they responded and within the information that they gave, they're playing a very they're playing a very dangerous game, right? We we would would have to admit that's that's problematic, right? Absolutely. So we'll see we'll see how this goes. Uh, again, I think to defund them, I, I you know I would I would uh, just kind of repeat what Michael said to defund them at this point just doesn't make any sense. Not in the middle of a crisis, if you have an issue, just like we said with the administration, if you have an issue, those there will be time to address those issues. We need to get through this crisis. And so I think that's generally it. But I will say, if if indeed folks are, you know, if indeed folks are, are, are playing politics, to call it out could be helpful because maybe it stops it, right? I mean, one of the things that I always say is when people, when you call people out, at least sometimes they know that you're noticing and that they'll stop and you bring eyes to what's going on. So if indeed they're playing politics, because the truth is, there's been some very credible people to say what, who did in their response and how early on, the information that they were putting out was really problematic and ended up actually being false. And it's not just something that maybe they got wrong. It's something that they actually knew better. Uh, and so we'll just, we'll see how that goes. Let's hope that, uh, you know, this isn't completely defunded and, and you know, um, wiser minds kind of, kind of lead the way here, but it's an important conversation because as you see, we're in the middle of a pandemic and, we need to make sure that everybody is on the ball and everybody is putting politics aside to be uh, focused on safety and health and health.
Well, some other things happened, especially within Christian circles uh, within the last uh, few days. Uh, Al Mohler, uh, who is uh, president of the Southern uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, part of his background uh, is that when Trump first kind of got going, uh, Al Mohler was one of the guys who came out and said, hey, some of the stuff he's doing is not okay, right? So he wasn't, he didn't hesitate to kind of speak out against uh, President Trump before he was the president, I believe. Uh, but now, recently in an interview, it was said that he will uh, actually vote for Trump because he says that his Christian worldview uh, pushes him to vote for, uh, compels him to vote for Trump because of especially the abortion issue and that he thinks because the Democratic Party has gone so far to the left on abortion, there's no way that, you know, he could in good conscience vote for uh, uh, vote for Biden uh, over Trump. Uh, and so that was basically his statement. Uh, guys, this is, you know, this caused a lot of disruption on uh, on Twitter, uh, on social media in general. I think there are a lot of people who are not Trump supporters that had a lot of have a lot of respect for uh, Dr. Moeller and are wondering, what is this about? And so people are trying to figure out really how to respond or they're responding uh, uh, to this in, in ways that uh, they may not have expected to. I'll say this. I think, you know, anybody who's read the Ann campaign's uh, presidential election statement knows where we stand on these kind of issues. Uh, we, we try not to take just a party stance. We think it's important for Christians to have the vision, the imagination to do better, to, to kind of transcend just what the parties give us. And make sure that we're calling, you know, that we're calling at, we're calling balls and strikes, right? We're calling things as we see them. Um, I will say, you know, when I saw this, I was disappointed. I think Al Mohler has been one of those guys in the SBC who has kind of been on the side where people were calling him a liberal. People were calling him a Marxist because they were giving, they were lending ear to some of these issues that a lot of folks on the further right side of the Southern Baptist Convention just weren't talking about. And so for him to come out and make the statement. I think caught some people off guard. Uh, and I think it's going to be one of those things that's talked about for a while. But I also think there's some other things that play kind of behind the scenes. But I was interested to hear what you guys thought. Michael, I'll start with you because I know that you actually wrote about this not not so long ago. Yeah, Justin, the, the, I mean, your comments set it up well. I, I mean, it, it's just a uh, disappointing uh Look, uh, what, what was striking about the message was that he gave, and you know, this is this is not something that came out of left field. This is a setting that he controlled. He wanted to answer this question. Uh, he cl he clearly wanted to sort of make this statement, and his eagerness in a setting that he cultivated himself to prove his Republican bona fide. So he. His answer opens with the fact that he's voted Republican through and through with, quote, no mental energy needed until 2016. This is a man who is widely regarded, who I respect, who I who's influenced my faith and and how I view faith in politics, widely regarded as an intellect for for an intellect, for such a well-read man to, to say that every presidential election since he became old enough to vote since 1980 has required no mental energy for him to for him to decide who to vote for is is just an extraordinary extraordinary statement and then he says well when we get when we got to 2016 the issue 
was these char these character things and everything just sort of kind of happened so quickly and i had he, he says you know i had said things about clinton in the late 90s and i felt like i couldn't say well i said that to clinton but i wouldn't say it to trump so the way he explained it was kind of like well i was kind of caught in a bind but if you look at my record i'm such a reliable republican uh that really my status shouldn't be in doubt and then he said in 2020 is is different he said that trump was um consistent as a as a conservative his his pro-life votes were right and his christian worldview which the only issues he addresses in this 11 minute talk are abortion the courts and sexuality he says and that's how he some i mean this is him uh, that's how he summarizes his Christian worldview. Uh, th that that makes it an easy easy choice for him. He says Democrats should be completely off, uh, uh, like uh, out of bounds. He he could never consider them, and he said he's going to campaign in every way that he knows how for Trump. I, I mean, one thing I've pointed out in my writing is, uh, as he said, he's El Mohler's done nothing. If he's concerned about the Democratic Party moving to the left, which we talk about quite a bit, and we've all written and spoken about uh, the Democratic Party taking stances like on the 2016 platform calling for a repeal of the Hyde Amendment, that that's that's fact, and that's that's. But but where was? I, I mean, he's talking about since 1976. So right. so so. So where was, what effort did Al Mohler lead to make sure that Bob Casey Sr. wasn't uh, wasn't defeated in the Democratic Party and forced to bow on life issues? What major effort did he lead to make sure that Dan Lipinski didn't lose his primary uh, a few weeks ago? What efforts is he doing to lift up John Bell Edwards' profile, making sure John Bell Edwards is speaking at the Southern Baptist Convention and that John Bell Edwards has a following in the Southern Baptist Convention so that uh, he could have support politically and not have to uh, not have to squeak by in these elections in Louisiana. And none of that is happening. As Al Mohler said, he's dedicated his, his, his public life to making the case for Republicans. So that's fair. That's fair to do. But I just don't like when, when uh, you know, I, I'm in, I'm really in a bind here in 2020 because the Democratic Party has gone so far to the left. So I guess I got to vote to vote for Trump. Well, according to you, the Democratic Party has never been even it's never required any mental energy for you to consider the Democratic. So it doesn't seem like you're a good faith actor here. If over 40 years, you've never even had to think about voting for a Democrat. And so I, I think young uh, Christians, I think folks who are involved in our movement deserve better. I think they saw this response as kind of a, a throwback that, that Al Mohler is a, a well-read individual. It, it's fine if you say, look, issues of uh, civil rights, issues of immigration, issues of the debt. In 2016, Al Mohler was uh, talking about the deficit as a monumental moral issue since Trump has been president, the debt has increased 16%. Uh, apparently, Trump is still a consistent conservative, and Al Mohler didn't, didn't even need to say, well, I disagree with what Trump's done on the on the deficit, but on balance, I still need to vote for him. No, he didn't make, other than saying that Trump frustrates him morally, uh, Mueller didn't have any, any policy critique of Donald Trump, even though 
Donald Trump's immigration policy is very different from Ronald Reagan's immigration policy, who Mueller said he felt completely comfortable with and, and Reagan was completely in line with his Christian worldview. Well, how, how does your Christian worldview fall directly in line with the immigration policies of both Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump? That's, that's incredible that your Christian worldview could fall exactly in line with both those things. And so, uh, I, I, listen, uh, there are going to be leaders like this who, who give the conventional case they've been making for the last 40 years. And then there are going to be others, some of whom are going to be urging support for other candidates. Others are going to be making a, a, a more nuanced case for Donald Trump, which I appreciate. And then others are going to say, I can't vote for either of the candidates. But but I, I think the through line we're going to see, the kind of leaders I want to see lifted up are those who are who are nuanced, uh, those who are holding things in balance, who are willing to call out, especially the faults in the candidates they support and not just sort of whitewash things so they could make an easy argument. And that's that's not what Dr. Moeller did here. Uh, and, and it was disappointing. Yeah, one of the things that I, I found problematic about what was said among many was that it seemed like a very partisan and political statement coming from somebody who usually is more theological, right? Mm -hmm. And so people expect something theologically based, but all I saw was something that was uh, politically or, or, or based on partisanship. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think that's where, that's what was really disappointing about it uh, to say, wait, the, 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 the theology here sounds sounds a little shallow. The partisanship is, 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 is yeah. heavy. And I'm gonna get into this a little a little later. I'm gonna let I'm gonna let uh, uh, Chris talk. But this is a cerebral guy. Yeah. This is a strategic guy. So as Michael said, I don't think any of this stuff was by mistake. I think it's I think it goes into something bigger. But I want to give I want to give Chris a chance to uh, to weigh in. Yeah, no, I mean I I think you know coming from a person who's incredibly incredibly bright, um, you know, to just not take a theological uh, approach to this at all. I mean, if you if you read the the, the, the statements, I mean, it, it's not even like attempted. Like it's it's right. just not there. Um, and we all know anybody who's read Al or listened to him for just a little bit of time, we know that. I mean, it is there. Like the capacities are there. The capacities of mind are there. Um, and and so it's it is like like we've said we've used this word disappointing uh, a bunch. Um, just to review it. Um, but I think when, when you make the goal to shore up partisan bona fides uh, on either side of the aisle, uh, you get yourself into, into trouble. Like we, uh, and I, I, I mean, I think this is why the AIM campaign exists. And I think it's why it's very important for us to talk about this uh, because you cannot come to the conversation party first. I come to the party uh, because of my theology, right? I don't surrender my theology for the party, right? Um, and when, as soon as you make the decision to, to go for party first, right, and, and not try to find the party that lines up best with my theology and be comfortable there, right? Like, I, I think if you make a theological argument and say, you know, Neither one of these parties, because if you make a theological argument, I think you have to come to the statement. Neither one of these parties are like, you know, ready to like, you know, fly the Christian flag. Um, but 
but based on my theology and my politics, this is where I am, right? I'm, I, I am personally not against, I know some people are just against pastors, like supporting candidates, period. And I'm personally not against that. But I do think you have to be able to critique the candidate that you support. Um, if you are a pastor and a, a theologian, especially, uh, you got to be able to critique the candidate that you support, because right now we don't have candidates um, that really check all the boxes of Did biblical theology. Yeah, no, no, I think I think that's a, a good uh, a good point. And one of the reasons why I kind of felt like we should address this is not it's not personal to come at anybody. I mean, uh, Al Mohler has his uh, briefs that he does every day. He doesn't hesitate to come at people. And this is not a, a personal attack whatsoever. But I think it really does break the end campaign framework, which is kind of what Chris was getting at. This came as a very partisan statement. And then everything else kind of came after that, in my view. And I don't want to get too deep into speculation. But in my view, this was a statement purposely put out there at this time to put some people at ease, right? We all know that when uh, the statements that he and others uh, in his organization made about Trump and, and about having issues with Trump, they got a lot of pushback. And what I want to tell people, number one, is I think this was wrong. I'm not, I'm not going to make any excuse for it. I think it's wrong. But make sure that when you come into a situation and you get the kind of pushback some of these guys had, that you have a different reaction. Because my point is that it's not easy. So what I think what ha- I think happened what happened is you get a lot of pushback on the other time. Uh, you know when you first made your your initial statements. Yeah. This is a statement that you come out and say, "Hey, I'm with you. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff anymore. Like, let's move on, right?" So yeah. he he should have. You can't address. I don't think a Democrat or a Republican. Uh, leader, Christian leader, should endorse or address a president in that way or any party with that way without stating some of the issues that they have with them, right? So saying, yeah, I, I might have to do this, but I really have a problem with this, 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 and this. And that goes for Democrats or anybody else. Yep. The reason that I don't think he did that, being as cerebral as he is, is because he was just trying to say, hey, let's let's move past this issue. I'm with you on that. We're together. Let's Let's get that out the way, right? And if I, you know, now my, my, the reason that I think that might be the case, and again, I don't want to speculate too much, is I, I believe, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, there are talks about him running for president of, of that's right. the Baptist Convention. Yep. Right? Yep. If, if I was a, just a cold, you know, if I was running his campaign, right. I, had no theological, I had no theological issues involved in it, I would have told him to say exactly that, right? I'd say, hey, man, early. Yeah, there's going to be folks like the Ann campaign and those folks who are going to be mad at you. Just get this out the way. Right. My belief is as wrong as this is and we're not going to make any excuse for it. If you want to know how we feel about all this stuff that's going on, just read our statement. It's all right there. I think that was wrong. I think this is a a chess move in a bigger play. And I think it's the wrong chess move. Right. Right. But I do think there's something bigger at play. Al Moore is not one of these people that you see on Twitter. Where, they, where his opinions are just randomly come out with every tweet, right? This is a guy who plans a long time ahead, who's always, you know, who is really playing chess and is very strategic. This was a strategic move, in my, in my mind, the wrong move for what I think is something bigger that may be coming down the road or something that he's trying to attain to make some changes or whatever. That's as deep as I'll go into it. Yeah. But, but yet and still, you're still in your position and everything you say matters, right? So you don't get the benefit of doubt because perhaps 
you're using this to do something different. I think he kind of took the same position that you're seeing a lot of Republican senators take. There are a lot of Republican senators that have a problem with Trump. The reason that they're not coming out, as I think they should, and saying more about that is because they're thinking, well, if I stay in the game, right, if I stay in the game and I still get elected, when this is all over, I can do some good things. Yeah. I think that there are a lot of Republicans that take that stance. I, I'm not comfortable with that stance at all, right? But I understand that there's a long game that people are thinking about. And if I was running his campaign for president of the uh, SBC and I wasn't worried about theological issues the way that I am, I would have said, yeah, let's say this at this time while there's a lot of other stuff going on, get it out the way, ease some fears, and then we can move on to do what we were planning to do uh, later on. The problem is, when you address Trump and you endorse him, and I'm, I'm not saying that we got to be super angry and have pitchforks for everybody who endorses Trump. That's that's your you know, that's your decision. You can't do that without addressing uh, race. You can't do that without addressing justice and immigration and things of that nature. That's what led a lot of, you know, a lot of people down to say, man, how are you just not going to mention any of those things? Yeah, that's, that's really part of the, the big deal. And, I, and I'll, I'll pass the mic a little bit. But that's my thought behind it. this dude is too smart that he doesn't just say stuff. He, you know, there's a bigger plan behind it, but you still got to, you still have to deal with what you said and people are still listening. Michael. Yeah. Chris. Yeah. Chris, what were you going to say? I was just going to say of what Justin said, the, one of the big things for me is that it, this, something like this makes it infinitely more difficult uh, for those of us who participate more in politics uh, on the other side of the aisle uh, to get, uh, theologians and, and pastors and Christians to be straight up uh, with this party when yes. when the other side doesn't have to, right? right. The, the same thing has to happen for, for us, right? Like, you can't just stand up and say, Joe Biden, you got to talk about um, abortion and you got to talk about marriage and you, and you got to talk, you got to talk about all these issues. You got to talk about what the Bible talks about, but it makes it infinitely more difficult uh, when you can point to somebody with that kind of profile and intellect history and reputation and say, well, Mueller didn't do it. Why do I have to? Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I think that's right. I, I do think, you know, part of this is like, who are you, who are you accountable to? And if it, it really felt like, I mean, Mueller is leading a set. I, I know his students there have mixed opinions on this. He didn't seem to be talking to them. Uh, he didn't seem to be talking to our friend Dwight McKissick. I mean, he didn't seem to be talking to the whole Southern Baptist Convention. He seemed to be really talking to folks at pulpit and pen who are posting things that he's gone Marxist. You know, you know like that was the weird, it was such an insular, like, who are you trying to? Who are you trying to comfort here? Who are you trying to convince? Um, and again, as Justin said, to avoid so much of the conversation that has gone on, again, not in progressive circles. I'm talking about places where he speaks, where where he does conferences, people he's, he's discipled, to, to ignore the conversations about, I mean, even Jonathan Lehman, who... who who is, uh, you know, at a conference or I guess participating in, in Together for the Gospel uh, this week. I mean, jo- Jonathan Lehman's talked about, 
you know, the, the, the dangers of conflating faith with a political party. So it's not, it's not, oh, why isn't El Moeller, you know, trying to reach out to, you know, some liberal progressive? No, this is like, he's not, he ignored the conversation that, that he's supposed to be a part of and that I know he's cognizant of. And, and, and that, that, that moves from like, that, that's not just negligence. That that's, it seemed like a, um, like an intentional decision, which is why Justin, you're, I mean, he's, he's smart enough to know he's written about all these other issues. And so it's, he wanted to, he wanted to send the signal that uh, like, look, I, I know I disappointed some of you in 2016, but that's not going to be, let's take uh, this off the table. The other thing he spent a lot of time doing was sort of clarifying the record in his view. Yeah, he said, look, I did, it, this was just so amazing to hear the head of a religious institution say this. He, he said, uh, I, I did at least 30 radio interviews in 2016 making the case against Hillary Clinton. I just couldn't make the case for Donald Trump. So he's building up this uh, look, I know some of you were disappointed I couldn't support Trump, but the the record is I, w- I was really on your side the whole time anyways. Like, don't worry about it. And and again, he said, I'll campaign in every way I know how for Donald Trump and against the Democrat in 2020, which again is, is a choice to make, but but uh, qu- quite a way to put it out there. And, and yeah, it, was, it was to reassure a certain group that, look, I'm dyed in the wool. And, and the truth of the matter is, I think it was a, it was a, he was trying to take some of their ammo away from them, right? So he was trying to anticipate, okay, if you run in a campaign or you're doing something like that, you try to anticipate where the attacks are going to come from, right? right? If you can disarm the people who are about to attack you, that's what you do. And so what I think he was trying to do is disarm some of the people that were trying to attack him. But you said what you said, right? <laughs> and people heard what you said. So in no way, don't take me as saying that that's an excuse for it. But I think that's what, what what it was getting at, and it was just too political for somebody who's in primarily in a theological position, right? And that doesn't mean he can't talk about policy and all those things. I know a lot of cats who listen to his morning briefings and all that. Yeah, it was a very partisan and political way to go about it. So if I was going to have a a kind of a bright line rule that I think he violated, it's that when you're in a position, especially as a Christian, and it's a theological one and it's a principled one. You cannot throw around endorsements without being more nuanced, right? I yeah. cannot, right? And that's not to say I'm going to do, but I cannot just say, hey, whoever the Democratic nominee is, I'm all in. I've been a Democrat my whole life. I've been going hard for him. I'm going to be knocking on the door. It's going down. Right. No, I yeah. can't just say that. I just say, man, hold my nose. Hey, I might have to do this because of this, this, and this, but let me tell you something. When they yeah. get in office, I'm going to be going, you know, Yes. Abortion stuff needs to stop. That yes. all the act stuff needs to stop. I'm not going to sit there and do that. In fact, I'm going to be the main one coming that's right. you on the abortion issue, on the mm-hmm. Equality Act issue, because that's what I got to do. Yeah, yeah. He didn't do that. And of course, it wouldn't have been as effective on what we're saying we think his point was, which is yeah. probably why he didn't do it. But still, it happened, yeah. right? And what you say matters. And I don't yeah. think he would he would say it to anybody else. Oh yeah, you said it, but you didn't mean it, or you said it for some other reason. Therefore, it doesn't count. No, it counts. Yeah, and that's kind of what we're getting at. Chris, did you have something else? Yeah, no, I would. I would just say again, like the reason it counts so much is because you are going to impact these theological spaces and conversations with 
your comments, even though they're intended for this political purpose, if, if it is, you know, the way we've discussed it, there is a fellowship here called the church. And there are people in that church, the people in that church who are on the right, and there are people in that church who are on the left. And we have a responsibility and a conversation going on inside of the church. And I know in the where I sit, when I have to say to a member of that convention, right? Yeah. In the state of Illinois, in the city of Chicago, right? No, we cannot just be with the mayor or the governor. We love the mayor. We love the governor. But on certain issues, we have to be hugely critical. Uh, you, it's just really important as leaders that we're modeling the right behavior. Uh, and, and I think on 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 the side of this political conversation and the Republican Party on the right uh, that has kind of owned, you know, the political Christian space for a long time. I mean, now the Democrats are trying to move into that space uh, in, in recent times. But as we try to get folks to be honest and nuanced and forthright uh on, on the other side of the aisle, I think that the impact of this, I guess on the other side of the aisle, uh, is almost more significant, right? Yeah. Um, than it is in, in this kind of like, who's the best Republican conversation? Yeah. Uh, just the last thing I, I want to say is, uh, and this is probably a bigger, this could probably be a whole separate conversation because I think it gets into vocation and all kinds of, interesting territory. But, but Justin, your point about roles and responsibilities is just so critical. You, you know, if you're a Christian who's serving as the chair of your state political party, then of course you can't, every time you give a statement, say, you know, vote for my party, but here are all the things that are wrong with it. Like you may think, but you have a, you have a role, you have a vocation in that role, but we got to decide which vocation we have. And if you're leading a seminary, then you can't be given statements like your chair of the local state Republican Party, and, and, and so there is this, there is this, uh, uh, this recognition we gotta give people space to to be ethical and responsible in in the jobs that they have, and understanding that different people have different roles and responsibilities. But but yeah, that that was the for that for that statement for that video, it was uh, it. It, you you couldn't tell that this was the head of a seminary talking. It, 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 that statement could have been given by uh, Rona McDaniel, the chair of the the chair of the RNC. Yeah. yeah, it seemed out of character and it seemed out of position, out of office. You know, whatever you want to call it, that's what it seemed. We'll just have to see. I mean, this I don't think this is something that people should necessarily forget. I don't think it's something that people should take lightly. It's not supposed to be taken lightly. When you, you know, when you're in that type of position, what you say matters. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't say that people can't make mistakes, and I'm not going to say if you say something inartfully, then uh, you should, you know, it should be held against you for the rest of your life. But yeah. this was a mistake. <laughs> this was this was deliberate, and uh, this was strategic, and we'll just have to see how it turns out, man. Uh, that's our conversation. Uh, as you know, we're not cancel culture type dudes. That's not what we're talking about. What we do feel that it's necessary when we're talking about something that hits home with a uh, faith in politics so squarely, it's something that we have to address. And we're always going to try to address it honestly. Uh, and maybe there may be future conversations about this. And, uh, you know, 
chances to to see uh, how this works out and, and what's at the bottom of it. We'll have to see, but we definitely want to make sure that we addressed it for you so we can all start to think through it. Thank you again for joining us. We'll hopefully be back next Thursday to keep having these conversations and uh, take care of yourself. Be safe and stay prayed up. I'm scolding the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave. I'm unchained. I'm Frederick Douglass with a face.